0: I am well, I am peaceful, I am powerful.
1: I am powerful, I am loving, and I am kind. Actually, I'm going to switch that one too. Actually, Shelly and I, we have four because we're both the same. This is the same. I am a warrior. Yeah. have that on our, my tattoo.
2: That was Pam Lanhart and Shelly Young and this is The Recovery Revolution. It's time for The Recovery Revolution podcast and it is unlike any recovery podcast you will ever experience. This is next level recovery transformation featuring the most influential minds in addiction, recovery, sobriety, mindset, and entrepreneurship. We are transforming the stereotypical mundane process of recovery into one of finding your own personal path to empowerment. This podcast will revolutionize the way you look, feel, and talk about recovery. This is The Recovery Revolution. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Recovery Revolution. And today we have Pam Lanhart and Shelly Young joining us on the show. Together, they are the founders of the Family Recovery Conference. Pam runs a nonprofit in Minnesota called Thrive Family Support. And Shelly is a certified level two Arise interventionist, recovery coach, and family recovery coach. This episode is specifically catering to the family members of addicts. Together, they have put together a powerful, loving, and compassionate way to help families intervene on addiction. It's the best interview I've done so far when it comes to family support. So I am so excited for you all to listen. So let's dive into Shelly and Pam's story. But first, a quick message from our sponsors. We are all addicted to something. Money, success, success food, drugs, alcohol, and even our problems. These addictions hold us back and prevent us from tapping into our greatness. My name's Omar Pinto, and I'm a life transformation coach, addiction recovery specialist, and lifestyle entrepreneur. I help people transform their business, family, and personal life every single day. So if you want to find out what's holding you back from living a life of fulfillment, success, and happiness, go to www.omarpinto.com and schedule a free consultation with me today. It's time to transform your life. Today's episode is brought to you by the RRC, the Recovery Revolution Community. The RRC is our private recovery membership group that features online meetings, online support, Accountability, peer to peer recovery support and coaching. The Recovery Revolution is more than just a podcast. It is a support network helping thousands of people all over the world. So, for more information about the Recovery Revolution podcast or how you can join the RRC, then go to omarpinto.com and get plugged into the Recovery Revolution today. And if you haven't done so already, Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's the best way to show your support for the podcast. Hello, Pam and Shelly. How are you doing?
0: Hey. 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 Great. Excited to be here. Yeah.
2: Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Here we go. All right. So today, folks, we have Pam Lanhart and Shelly Young joining us on the show. Pam and Shelly are mothers of sons that are in recovery and are changing the way families interact with their loved ones they promote a loving compassionate response to those impacted by substance use they both found their way to family recovery through non-traditional pathways it wasn't al-anon for either of them they both sought out spiritual guidance and therapeutic interventions Their recovery was more in accordance with the eight dimensions of wellness that is part of what drew them together now they are determined to help families heal that sound about right
0: Yep, that sounds like you got it pretty
2: much down. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Pam, for sending me that intro. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, rock and roll. So uh, there's definitely a lot that I want to dive into with you with you, ladies, um, especially about these eight dimensions of wellness. Now, when you talk about the eight dimensions of wellness, is that something that you two came up with, or is that a particular pathway that you discovered?
0: Well, the eight dimensions of wellness are, are maybe SAMHSA has it out there. Lots of coaches use it, but it's like the wheel of fortune, right?
2: Okay, so then, okay, I got you. The wheel of life.
0: It's all the Yeah, the wheel of life or the eight dimensions of wellness or, you know, compassion pie, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's all the ways of taking care of yourself.
2: Okay, all right.
1: Yeah, I think for both of us, um, you know what, and I can, I'll, I'll speak for myself. So I had, I have a son who started using when I was 15. He's 21 now. And he wasn't really wanting to do the traditional um, 12 steps, especially at 15, 16, 17 years old. It's kind of a hard concept to grasp. Totally we were trying to figure out how could we support him in his recovery. And I didn't really understand it until I went through a peer recovery coaching program. You met my dear recovery Sherpa, Chris Kelly. I love Shout her. Out Chris and Minnesota recovery connections and what they do. But what I realized was that oftentimes when people are chronic chronically relapsing or really struggling in their recovery, yes. there's a piece of that pie or a couple people, pieces of the pie that might be missing. And so for me, um, it really helped me identify that like, okay, maybe he doesn't want to do community through the 12 steps, but that might be a piece that's missing. Or if he doesn't want to do spirituality the way that we do it, you know, or go to the church we go to, how can he incorporate spirituality into his recovery? And more importantly, now that Shelly and I both work with families, one of the, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but our mantra is we're not gonna ask a family uh, or we're not gonna ask a person in recovery to do something that a family member isn't willing to do. So when we work with families, we can use that eight dimensions of wellness as a guide to find out for the family what pieces of that pie are they missing? Okay. Or there might be deficiencies.
0: So- For our family, I recognize that just emotional regulation or um, finding peace in our own family. If you look at all the different things, you know, then where where am I not being fulfilled in those things, which could lead to my health and wellness, which then I can look at my loved ones and say, okay, are there any pieces of what, you know, is really a healthy life that that needs an infusion, right? That needs an
1: infusion.
2: Okay. All right.
1: Me, the big ha ha is always like when one of those pieces are missing, and then typically we're looking to have that filled by another person. Right. Um, so oftentimes that can lead to a situation where I'm looking for my emotional fulfillment in that person getting well rather than you know where it really needs to be you know which might be the spiritual component or it might be it's my own trauma or whatever it is so
2: okay and we'll 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 dive a little bit further into that um because there's just based on this on the intro i had i had other questions um but before we dive into all that i just i'm curious as to what, what is so funny shelly
0: Something happened in the background, and I'm trying not to lose my
2: composure. <laughs> <laughs> Something funny? It
0: wasn't really funny, but the person thought it was funny, and the person's laughing about it, so I suppose they're okay.
2: Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Could that be your son?
0: No. Okay.
2: Daughter. Daughter. Okay. All right. So we got we got kids in the background wreaking havoc. All right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Fair enough. I just saw that, and I'm like, "What's going on over there?" Inquiring.
0: Oh my goodness!
2: (laughs) I think I have an idea what's going on over there. See the the beauty of video. All right, so um, I I like to start out with understanding a little bit about where you're at today. So there's this journey that we're going to get into, but there's things that you guys do today to maintain a routine. So what is your daily routine maintenance that you do for your own recovery? Uh, what does that look like? Uh, Pam, you go first.
1: Yeah, so I consider myself a person in long-term recovery from the effects of the disease of substance use disorder. And so for me, um, there's a lot of things that I really try to do. Um, I exercise you know, regularly. I've had a couple of surgeries, so I'm not as good about that as I was two or three years ago, but it's part of my regular routine. I take walks, I get outside, I, you know, love nature, my husband and I do fun activities together. Um, You know, I think for me, uh, having spiritual meditation time in the morning is probably the First and most important thing that I do, and I schedule that in every single day. That's how I start my day. That and coffee. I'm like, coffee and Jesus, it's perfect.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I could name that episode <laughs> yeah. this coffee and yeah. Jesus. That's the best thing I've ever heard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of how I start my day. And then for me, it's, you know, financial wellness, which is how can we make sure that we're taking care of our family and that we're um, keeping our head above water financially. Um, I do therapy with a therapist and that's another piece of my recovery. And, um, you know, those are probably the really key components in the other thing for me is I'm married. And so taking time to invest in my relationships with my husband and with my other children, that was really an important piece of our story, which is, you know, we, we have four children in our family and I'm married 38 years. I want to stay married um, 39 years, right? So like making sure that I'm, I'm investing in the, the relationships that are the most important in my life, um, which is God first, my husband second and the rest of my kids. And I have four of them, not just one. And so for me, that's how can I be the mom that my children need me to be? And that's really personal and really individual. Every single one of them is very different.
2: No, for sure. Um, Real quick, I'm very curious about your financial wellness. Okay, so it's when I'm talking about daily routine, I'm like, so this is, this is your daily routine. Is this part of your daily routine? No. Well, you know, daily, Or weekly?
1: Yeah, more weekly. Like, you know, how are we doing? What are we spending our money on? Are we above Budget? water? You know. So I think people forget about financial wellness
2: when
1: yes. they talk about recovery. And that's a something, especially as a family impacted, that can really be um, significant. And it can... I can really cause contention, right? Between a husband and a wife. What are we spending our money on? And so I think that for us just checking in and being accountable and, you know, I have a, a little budget app that I use that I kind of keep track of things so that I don't go off the rails. Um, and it's been a big deal lately because we had a wedding on Saturday. And so our financial Pie was pretty, you know, like that. There was a pretty big piece cut out of that, but it's okay. It was for a good reason.
2: What's the budget app?
1: Um, you know, I I think it's just called Budget. Um, I'll have to look. I'll get back to you
2: on that. Yeah, get, get back to me on that. This is super important right well for for most people they don't dive into that as much as they especially not even on a daily or weekly basis having that conversation with their spouse as far as how you're managing your money you know what the expenses are you know what does the end of the month look like where are we at right now um, I think it's I think it's very important um, and also mm-hmm. it's a delicate topic because people yeah. you know the, the 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 money topic is always is always so so delicate so anyway that's that's why i was curious as to how you manage that so so shelly tell us about your daily routine what does that look like
0: well i get up every morning and the first thing i do is brush my teeth and then i light candles and i say the meta prayer that may i w- may i be well happy and peaceful may no harm come to me may no difficulties come to me may i have. No problem. We always meet with success. We also have patience, perseverance, and determination to meet and overcome inevitable obstacles in life. And I say that for myself. I say it for my children. I say it for my friends and family. And then I say it for all. And there's a couple other prayer things I say. And then um, and then I get my kids off to school and I spend a good hour with the journal and my dog and the birds and, um, and then every day I, w- I walk out in nature with my dog and I have designated time. So I don't get onto any social media till after that. So I won't check my phone, I won't respond to anything. I only, I, it's usually around eight o'clock before I'll check in with anything, but sometimes a little bit later. Um, if I go to yoga, then it's even later. So yoga would be in the morning after that. And if I don't go to yoga, I do yoga at home. Um, it's a really, really important part of my well-being. And it was part of my recovery um, practices. And so it stayed in there. And And then I meditate. I have a therapist that I work with. And we have a, a meditation that I've I practice on purpose that has to do with some trauma resolution. So that goes in with it. And then like Pam, I also have a financial recovery practice. Um, Addiction took a big toll on our financial life, right? We were very privileged to be able to pay for high quality treatment for my son, but it had an impact. And, um, and when you're in a state of emergency, you tend to be in a state of emergency with all of your things, and um, money was one of them. So I went through a financial recovery program called Financial Recovery, who um, the woman who created it was in recovery and she applied recovery principles to her money. and um, so the
2: yeah, it's it. a,
0: she wrote a book. It's called Financial Recovery. And then, um, I have a money program called money minder and I check in with it at least once a week and it tracks everything. And, um, I put together a spending plan, not a budget, but a spending plan for the month, every month. And then weekly I check in with it and then I check in with her. She's a coach, um, weekly or twice a month and she's helped with my, um, getting my business organized also financially. So I think financial health is super important um, in the, in the grand scheme of recovery because it's one of like your primal needs. So safe, your safe, secure housing, a way to, to meet your basic needs, food, shelter, all those things. So um, I think it's really important. So that's one of my, my, routine practices. And then we always have dinner together as many times a week as we possibly can. I have two younger daughters at home and, um, I, it's really important to get sleep. I make sure that I have really good sleeping patterns. I think that sleep is one of the number one deficits for families and for the individuals. And it's one of the biggest emotionally regulating things you can do for your body. So it's something I always check in with families, like how's your sleep? Um, And so that we can see if we can get sleep regulated, we can get a lot regulated from that, that basis. Um, And drink tons of water. So I have like the really basics. How are you sleeping? How much water are you drinking? What are you putting in your body for food? How are you moving your body? And then what's your spiritual practice? Like those are like my top, Things And then second layer would be like financial, um, relationship community. I make sure I used to do a thing where I would make sure I checked in with five people a day, just like five friends or whatever. And it, I didn't even know that that was something they did in the 12 step community. I just had a little thing. Like, did you talk to five people today? You know,
2: Shelley, you are very busy.
0: No, full. Just, it's just full. <laughs> I, don't, I don't associate with the word busy so much. as like, you know, that's just how I roll. Um, <laughs>
2: right?
1: But, you know, kind of to that point, though, and I'm glad you brought up the water and the food because that's a really huge part of my daily discipline is what I eat and what I drink um, or what I don't drink because I think both Shelly and I don't, really drink even though neither one of us um, would identify as having had problematic drinking. Um, But the, the um, point is, is that when you practice all these things and you're taking good care of your body and you're getting good sleep and you're well nourished, then you can run hard, right? Mm. you You get up and go and do the things that are pretty demanding. I mean, I think both of us, Shelly and I would kind of identify as um, first responders and caregivers. You know, we have a lot of people that reach out to us that really are in crisis and need support emotionally and um, need guidance. And so, man, if if we're not taking care of ourselves, we cannot take care of anybody else. Right.
2: Correct. And that's that's very important in the sense of that energy that's coming your way. So you've got, as a first responder, you've got lots of very intense, in many cases, could be toxic, could be, um, you know, just emotionally intense feelings. And so what you're saying here is, based on your practices, based on sleep, water, uh, food, right, meditation, like, I'm, I'm what I'm doing is preparing me for this. So what comes my way does not drain me.
0: Right. Right. We know how to respond in a crisis because we're strengthened by these practices, right? We're able to hold space for people and others because we're, we are grounded and we have these practices where we, spiritual, physical, emotional, mental practices and they're not they're not things that we are depriving ourselves of other things for, they're enhancing our lives, you know? Yes. It's not like we're putting on a suit of armor. We're actually just strong because of those things. That doesn't mean we don't get tired and we don't, you know, need comfort and support and and practices for when those toxic vibes hit hit us like I soak myself in a salt bath a couple times a week and smudge my house but um you know we we're prepared
1: well we check in with each other almost I mean we're in constant communication with one another we've become quite a good support for one another because I think that you know the in some ways I think of the word chaplaincy but or the therapist needs a Therapist for therapists, right? And so, you know, I think we check in with each other, and she Shelly's really intuitive when I'm struggling emotionally because not only, you know, I mean, we still got our own stuff, right? We got our own family, we got our own emotions going on. Yesterday, uh, my son was in town for the wedding and had to leave and go back to Colorado, and I was a mess. <laughs> this morning, we spent, you know, 20 minutes just like kind of processing through that and so uh, having support um, for ourselves is part of that daily practice and and it's critical when you're I mean no matter what layers of service that you're uh, doing for other people you know when you're giving you can't I mean it's very cliche-ish but you can't give from an empty cup you can't give out of an empty well and so you know like Omar to your point what are we doing to fill our well every day? And part of that is our connection with one another and our making sure that we're checking in emotionally.
2: Okay, so that's it's super important. And the, the reason why I didn't want to just kind of gloss over it is because for many of us, there is this, um, even me, you know, like that being drained. Okay, there's moments, There's there's certain, like sometimes I'm just, I'm running hard and I'm in a flow, right? Like nothing can stop me, right? I can handle client after client, right? Do podcast interviews, right? Like everything is like, bring it on. And then there's certain weeks where I want to hide under a blanket and you know what I mean? And just kind of like disappear and everything is daunting and everything is draining me and I don't know how to get back. And then it's like, oh, well, your your morning routine's off and your exercise routine's off and you haven't been drinking enough water. And then all of a sudden I go, but that couldn't be it. And mm-hmm. and then like I'm here, I'm listening to you two uh, warriors and it's like, okay, uh, there's that.
0: There's the answer. There's the
2: answer right in front of my face. And, I, and, and it, it doesn't, you can't, you can't skirt it especially when it's such a strong part of what you do on a daily basis it's like and also like if i'm if we're not doing this then at some point we're going to get hit with something that we can't deal with we're not going to we're not going to be physically mentally emotionally able to deal with someone coming at us as a first responder if i haven't taken the time out to prepare mentally emotionally spiritually correct Right. Okay. All well,
1: right. I think um, just to piggyback on that just a little bit too is the in, the intuitiveness of um, self awareness and then self compassion. You know, I think that has to be part of your daily practice. Like, it's okay to not be okay once in a while. If you know you need that downtime and you're listening to your body, you take it and you say no in other areas of your life in order to find that balance. So, find had a pretty rough emotionally day you know exhausting day Then I know I need to and, and it's okay like it's really okay to say I'm not okay today and I need some something some time and then figuring out what that is and just giving yourself permission I think that's a part, really a strong part of what both of us do is just giving ourselves permission to breathe and decompress and take time and and rest, all,
2: and, rest. And, relax.
0: Yes. and relax you know
2: yeah and you also have each other yeah okay yeah. so it's it's a full like everything here is um you've got the 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 full package where it's i've got connection i've got communication i've got a support i've got a practice i've got strategy i mean i've got everything that i've kind of built into it so that's where we're at today. Okay, so here is here's Pam and Shelly, recovery warriors, okay, after what they've been through. So let's let's kind of dive into what that looked like to get here. So I'm not sure which one of you guys wants to go first, but one of the questions that I ask and it, and this is it, you know, it's like addiction can be a driving force for for many of us. Um it may propel us towards things like drugs, alcohol, food, money, success, even our phone. So addiction plays a role in our lives in so many different ways. Or it could just, it could affect our family members, right? So my question is, how has addiction played a role in your life and what has it cost you and who wants to go first?
0: May I? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I'm a daughter of a My mother had alcohol use disorder until two years before she passed away, which was five years ago. And uh, my grandmother also passed away from alcohol use disorder. My grandfather, probably the same. Um, And my son is almost four years in recovery. My mom was the first person in the family that anybody ever recognized that there was actually a problem and addressed it and, and got treatment for it, which happened 14 years ago. And I was the one that initiated it as her daughter. And I just had a baby. Um, but no one had ever done that before. No one had ever said, this is not okay. This is, this is really looks scary and a problem and you're sick. And um, this is what people do when you're sick like this. So, uh, She went into a treatment program. She did not get sober uh, for seven years after that. And then we had another one of those episodes where we just were like, this is not okay. This is scary. Um, What are we gonna do? You know, what are we gonna do? And so because we started actually treating addiction in our family as a health condition, It was easier when it really flared up with my son after some really serious traumatic incidents in his life, which I completely understood while he, why he was using substances the way he was using them. It just was really difficult to, to get to him while he was on like, get to his soul while he was under the influence. Um, So we kept attempting to, Get proper care and treatment and intervene in different ways um so with him we ended up after about four and a half years of just episode after episode after episode and one 30-day treatment episode that didn't result in long-term recovery but at least opened the door for uh the discussion we had an intervention which i thought was the most traumatic thing ever in our family and i i I don't recommend that kind of intervention. And because of that intervention, I became an interventionist or I got trained in intervention. So I don't do intervention the way most people do intervention, but like Pam would tell you, like just sitting down at the table and having a conversation is an intervention. So that being said, um, we initiated treatment for him. And, but prior to that, I had sought support for myself. And I, I hated the way that I felt. And I was, um, I didn't really know, you know, how we were going to change that. And so I ended up working with a coach, a spiritual coach. And during that time, those practices straight, I feel like strengthened me enough to really be able to confront with a compassionate, loving response. Um, addiction in our family, and really change the way that we treated it, and um, get him the proper care and treatment that he needed at the time. Um, and and the other thing it did it it helped me zero in on like okay, my daughter's best friend had a brain tumor at the same time that my son was sick, and the way that the community responded to their family was different than the way that they responded to us because number one, they didn't really know what was going on with us. They just knew that my son was, you know, having problematic behavior Um, and that he'd been traumatized by the loss of two very close friends, not drug related. But I looked at him and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to treat him the same way. My friend Lisa's treating her daughter with the brain tumor. He has a disorder to his brain. So how do you respond to that? to someone with a health condition and I started treating him like that. And then I asked my community, can you guys treat us the same way? Can you guys put us in the prayer circle? Can you guys help mm. me with my younger kids? Can you guys help me? And they did and they did and they rallied and they, that's oh, making me a little emotional. Um, Bring it on. they became his like biggest encouragers. They, celebrated his milestones. They were there for him. They said, we love you. Um, and I think that's what made such a huge difference is they embraced us and supported us. And I needed that support so that I could be a better support for him. Um, so that's why we're so passionate about a, compa- a loving response to someone with substance use disorder or, um, you know, a community, a loving community response because it makes a, a huge difference. And I know that connection is the medicine for addiction. So if we're isolating people, we're not, we're not gonna help them. We're not gonna help them get well. So prior to where I am right now, I learned these recovery practices and then implemented them into the, it just really rippled out into my family and then into my community.
2: I'd love to know a little bit more about okay, so the community when you talk about your community, right mm-hmm. um, and it's easy for us like when I identify and I say well my 12 step my aA community, my AA my n a group, right but when you talk about your community, what does where does what is is there a specific name for it uh, you know how does that what does that look like? What does that sound like
0: Just it, my neighborhood your like neighborhood. In my neighborhood. And, you know, when I got sick one time, when like someone has a baby, everybody brings food. And when um, my daughter's friend had the tumor or the brain cancer and she was going through treatment, we went every Friday to one of the neighbor's house before school with all the kids and the families and said the rosary and then had breakfast together for her and her family. And so then they, they added my son's name to that. And so we were part of that. And wow. then when we had the intervention, people brought food. And when um, my son had a seizure and, and people brought food and during the intervention, another friend took care of my other kids. So they just would, they just show up, right. They're just there and they help. And, and so it's my neighbors the the, my kids, friends, parents, my friends.
2: Um, that's incredible. The, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause that's, yeah, you can't. There's nowhere to point, right? Because you know, not everyone's going to have that opportunity, right. right? Like I, I don't even know any. I've been here for six years. I don't know my neighbors, right? Yeah. So I, I'm one of those guys.
1: Today, we're gonna go on. Yeah.
2: I'm gonna yeah. Go I mean,
0: I don't. I don't know all my neighbors, but they're like that. We're we're connected through our children, right? So we and have is this- it,
2: is it through your children or or is it also through your church
0: children just
2: the children
0: that's fantastic yeah i'm not a i don't ha- i don't have a church okay. community like i i i have a different spiritual practice for for worship but um and and sacred time but uh yeah so it's it's the people we spend all the time with on the fields and in the bleachers and at the school volunteering together.
2: Totally makes Trying sense. To... So yeah. this, they, you, they rallied together. This was four years ago. Yeah. Okay. So they rallied together. You asked them to pray for your son. Mm-hmm. What kind of a, what, so what happened? Like at that point when they started when, you know, cause now he's four years in, in recovery and I'm assuming yeah. he's doing well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, wonderful, fantastic. so what yeah. was that like I guess there was like a, a a a turning point in there at some point where you guys are like, Hey, guys, I need your help here. I need you to add yeah. my son into this prayer circle. When did you start seeing something happen with him?
0: I think with him and with me, as I felt more supported, I was able to like it it Regulated me emotionally so that when we were I was able to to be stronger Mm -hmm. in my my response but not strong like tough like strong like we got to do this you know and and this is I was able to be more honest and then you know this is everybody knows right everybody knows this is not a secret we're talking about this and everybody loves you and we want to, we want to, they want to support you. So, you know, you've, you're in the, would you like to come to Rosary? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and, and then, you know, they sent him cards to, and they, like some of them still send him cards and, um, whenever there's a milestone celebration, they all reach out to him and text and Facebook message and. All that. Yeah. The
2: the power of encouragement.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Wow. That's huge. I love it. Okay. So thank you. Thank you for that beautiful story, Shelley. So now Pam, same question. How has addiction affected your life? Um, And what does it cost you?
1: Yeah. So, um, Similarly, my parents were uh, had substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder. My dad, uh, I mean, I, I just don't really have many memories of him sober. And my home was very chaotic. Um, everything sort of centered around alcohol. Like every event, every activity, everything. Um, but there was definitely trauma in my Life as a result of my dad's drinking. I mean, significant stuff that we've had to work through through some good therapy. Um, My mom, we did, so my parents got divorced when I was 13 and we did an intervention with my mom when when I was 17 and she went through treatment um, and she moderately drinks now. My dad died when I uh, was 27, he was 51. And really, that I mean, he died from the effects of the alcoholism. He died from a brain aneurysm that they're very sure was from the um, drinking. So um, my story kind of departs, and I have, a, I have a sister who struggled for years as well. So just like Shelly, you know, strong family history, genetic predisposition. I mean, we have five siblings, three of them have struggled with some sort of use disorder, two of us just got lucky. I just say we were just the lucky ones because, of course, you know, I drink like everybody else. Um, But then as I was married and getting ready to have my own kids, I really thought that I could break this cycle, right? And what I didn't realize is how I actually brought it into my own family. I wasn't drinking, but there there were manifestations of the effects of, the alcoholism that played out in my own life and you know just my identity being in how our family looked or you know over controlling behaviors or ultimately you know just being really triggered by things that you know maybe shouldn't I shouldn't have been triggered by so um you know but we we had a strong faith we went to church every Sunday we did all the family dinners we went camping our kids did super fun activities like we would do really extreme fun activities like my husband would take a mountain and you know climb with them we mountain biked my son did MMA I mean we we just really tried to be like those parents that were like we're just gonna have fun with our kids and and um try to balance you know all of this and I think we're you know overall we were really like pretty good parents um I don't think I mean, and my son's been in lots of therapy and he wouldn't say there was anything super traumatic in his life, but he would say he always felt different. He always felt different from out of the womb. And he said when he used for the first time, which was probably around 11, um, and of course he had Adderall, so that potentially could have triggered his addiction. But he would say, he would identify that with smoking pot. And he would say the first time I, used, I felt normal, and he felt like he fit in, and I think his ADHD brain kind of caused him to feel a little bit different. I also think, you know, we were in a pretty conservative church, and he was sort of the naughty boy, you know, so he was non-conforming to what everybody else, you know, all the other kids, I'm sure, looked really perfect, even though, obviously, we know that's not true, um but he was, he was just an eye boy. And now looking back, I'm like, well, we kind of propagated that, that label. And I'm sorry to say that we did, but so at uh, 13, we got a call from school that he had brought a backpack full of pills to school. And by 15, he went through his first treatment. And um, our home was in complete chaos during those years. And I, I write, I have a book, a a devotional book called Praying Our Love One Home. And I write about the summer that he turned 16, and I call it the summer of brokenness, which was literally like feeling the most powerless anybody could ever feel. Because in our state, if you're 15 years old, you can AMA out of a treatment program. You don't have to stay if you don't want to. And yet obviously he was in our home and he held a lot of power and there was a lot of chaos. Because he knew he there wasn't a lot that we could do at that point. And so this is where my story kind of gets um, pretty emotional for me, because I remember that uh, fall sitting with a, a pastor, a person that was guiding us through this. and he and we were like, you know, it was we thought he was gonna die, and we didn't know how to manage all of this. and he, and he looked at us and he said, you know, are you going to be right for the sake of justice or are you going to love for the sake of relationship? Because love never fails. Amen. And there was difference between saying you love someone and acting and being in a place of love, in a place of peace. And, and one of my favorite things to talk about with families when I work with them is stepping out of the cycle of chaos Right. Because we were so worried about being right. And we needed to be worried about loving. Right. And so it was during that time that things shifted in our home from being right to loving. Right. And, um, you know, there were three things that kind of guided us during that time. And one was um, if you wanted to get sober, would he you want to have a relationship with us? Right. Um, would we, and then the, you know, are we going to love right instead of be right? And the third one, you know, which I know this sounds really sad, but the truth was, is that, you know, if he died today, what would that last interaction have been with like, right? That was so important to us that, um, you know, our God was a God of love, right? our That's what we wanted to exemplify. And more than anything, we moved from a place of like, would he know that he was radically loved? Radically loved, that there was no judgment, that he was just loved, right? And we have put all kinds of judgment on addiction because we grew up in a church that was pretty, you know, legalistic about that kind of stuff. And... Um, you know, we, and even in his treatments, um, and they were 12 step based, but it was like, you know, you wake up every morning and you call yourself an addict. And so we were propagating this identity at 15 or 16 that he was his disease. And we knew that if we were going to have a relationship with him, we had to step out of that. Like our identity became him getting well and his identity became his disease. And all that did was dehumanize everyone. And and honestly, it was really when we started working with the chronically mentally ill and homeless. And we did a lot of mission trips, even to Costa Rica and where you're at. And, you know, it was like, like understanding human value and understanding that, God, you know, God loves the person that is um, riding the bus 24 hours a day because he has nowhere to live as, and the person who eats mud, um, that they were born in poverty um, as much as he loves me and my son. And if, and if he can love everybody, I can love everybody. You know, I can see their value, right? And so there was just a really huge shift in our hearts. And I think that's, you know, there was a transformation, spiritual transformation that took place during that time, which was that um, we would lose our son if we kept putting judgment on
2: mm-hmm. So that's, because here is, this is a tricky thing. This is the tricky thing. You pour, and the idea is to genuinely pour unconditional love onto the fire so you know um taking away that judgment or any sort of preconceived notions of what you think you know or what you feel is right just based on so many so many different facets but then you pour love on this right and and recognizing that that once drug addiction takes a hold of of you um and 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 you're kind of in that cycle that there could be a moment where that gets taken advantage of, okay? Where that... So keeping that in mind and maybe the fact that he was so young kind of helped too. Um, But where, where did that shift happen? Where... And I'm not even sure how much resistance there was. Like how much resistance there was between... Your, your, you and your husband and your son like between the two of you guys and your son when this was all going on, how much resistance was he pushing against?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: right And you know when you went to your, when you went to ch- when you went to the church and asked for, for help and, and he, he gave you that, that counsel right? Mm-hmm. Um, what was the significant shifts that you saw based on your own change? when you started to change? Like how quickly did he start to adapt to that?
1: Well, you know, first of all, um, and I kind of coined a phrase called "loving well" from tough love to loving well, and and it's what I took. I had to do in my mind in order to shift. Um, loving well doesn't mean not being safe or not setting boundaries, and we had uh, um, okay. so you know. Okay. He's moving through treatments and drug court and lots of different stuff going on there, and um, and the, I mean, literally three weeks after he graduated drug court, right before his 18th birthday, he started using again. And so, um, what that looked like for us, and you know, I might do it a little bit different this time around, but you know, we got to the point where we were like, we can't change you. We know that you, this has to be something you decide. And what we support is for you to get help. And if you don't choose help, you're not going to be able to live in our home. You know, we had minor children who was bringing drugs into our home. Um, And so thankfully he did, you know, he's, he's been through a few rounds of treatment since he turned 18 and he did choose Um, I mean, there were times when he didn't make that choice right away and he was out and using. Um, But it was really interesting because he always gravitated back to us. Like he would always come back and, you know, we would, I mean, there were times when we would actually, because he didn't have a driver's license, we'd pick him up for work and bring him to work knowing that he was using, but we wanted the 20 minutes in the car to connect with him. And there were times when he didn't talk much or he talked goofy. And what that looked like is we didn't call him out on it. You know, we knew that there would be a time and a place for that discussion, but we were very judicious about the conversation. We, you know, like we were, not we were really super careful about how those conversations went down. So we got to the point where, we would interact with him even when we knew that he was using without confronting him because it just wasn't the right time and and in fact I'll, I'll just give you an example of the most recent relapse he had. I mean, he's getting really close to being done i mean I, he's he's back in a program now a highly structured program, and I really think that that this is probably his last time. Um, but the last time he, he relaxed, I, you know, there was a day I spent the whole day with him in Sedona. I loved on him. I, we just, you know, we went out to dinner, we interacted. I didn't confront him. I went home. I was in the airport the next day and he called me and said, you know, I need detox. And I think because we made our family a safe place for him. Um, you know, the times that he has come to us and told us that he was using, we didn't judge that. You know, it was like Shelly said, it was, it, this is a medical, in, in my mind, this is a medical thing. And so not putting failure on them, realizing that they're not bad, they're sick, you know, um, interacting in a way that's like, okay, thanks for sharing that. That was really brave. Let's talk about what our next options are, you know what do you want to do and and so i i've always been there and when he was younger he was kind of he could be kind of mean he hasn't he hasn't been that way for a few years um and i i feel like it's because we interact with him in a way that just values him as a human being so he doesn't have to be mean
2: have you like oh go ahead sorry shelly
0: i feel like what pam has done in her family with jake is they've created not only a safe home, like their home is a safe place for him, but their relationship is a safe container, right? It's always a safe container. And every time they connect, they're not always connecting over what's wrong with him Mm -hmm. or They're just continuing to to build that bond and continuing to um, strengthen it so that he knows no matter what, We have your back. We have limits. We have limits that, you know, about how we can move and be, but, but this is your family is a safe, secure place. And it's always going to be that way.
1: And I think that's because we work our own recovery program, you know, we're modeling recovery. We've had to learn how to communicate. And that was a big thing there you can imagine in my family of origin there was no no communication I and mean, we didn't talk we just yelled and screamed and you know a- accused one another and and so we had to we had to learn how to take phrases like you need to and, you should and you would and change statements to questions right and listen and reflect and and then, you know, we don't drink around, we don't really drink, you know. Um, and so we're sober, and that reflects we can make good decisions and we can make good choices. And, um, you know, thankfully, and not that we didn't have some train triangulation in our family, there certainly were times when Jake, you know, would try to manipulate and play the, the husband and the wife relationship, right? I mean, certainly that happened. And I remember one time that happening and me sitting down with my husband is we were kind of in conflict at that point. And I looked at him and I said, you are not the enemy and I am not the enemy and we are not going to fight each other. We are going to be a team to fight the addiction. That is the enemy. And so I think just investing in that relationship with each other and sitting and communicating. So all the skills we've learned, you know, to communicate with Jake apply to all of our other kids, you know?
2: Of and course. Really, of course.
1: Our young daughter is radically different than it was four years ago. hmm
2: hmm So what it's it's recognizing the need to remove shaming language from from the vocabulary. You know, and, and incorporating questions instead of coming at him, um, setting strong boundaries. So, did you find that you were unwavering about the the boundaries that you set? Were you able to stand firm on the on the boundaries that that you set with him, Pam?
1: Sometimes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you for the honesty. <laughs>
1: I like the word grace, right? <laughs> so there, I think I think that there's a learning curve with all this. We've just learned, you know, we're not gonna threaten, right? I think a lot of people think boundaries are are threats or that threats are boundaries and they're the same thing. And it, and they'll say things like, Well, if you don't do this, I'm gonna kick you out, right? I hate that word. Yeah, but that's more of a
2: that's more of an ultimatum. Well, yeah. Then a, so a boundary, I mean, it sounded like in the beginning you'd you'd set this, hey, listen, we love you, but if you're going to continue to use, we've got other kids in the house. You can't.
1: Well, that wasn't the beginning, though. That was kind of as we got better. Right.
2: After, at, at some point, point uh-huh. probably more yeah. in the beginning of your own recovery.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I, I and I think, you know, boundaries, like Shelly uses the word agreement and, and well, maybe talk about that in a minute, but I mean, Bob, I love the way Brene Brown talks about boundaries. It's like, what's not okay and what's okay. So like for me, um, you know, we, my son doesn't yell at us anymore. We don't yell at him anymore. That's not okay. Like even I have my own boundaries that I have set for myself so that, cause I, in the middle of all of this, I realized how horribly triggered, I was how much stuff I had to work through because as our son's addiction got worse, my reaction to his addiction got worse because of what I had gone through as a, as a child. And so I had to work through a lot of that, but you know, then putting safety measures in place for myself so that I don't overreact or so that I don't, you know, end up like saying things that I shouldn't say. And so to me, that's what boundaries are. Like what's not okay and what's, what, what is okay. Or where, you know, safety for me, like what's,
0: what's okay. What's okay. And not okay for me is a boundary. What's not okay. And not okay with you is your boundary. Right. Mm -hmm. And we put some agreements in place so that, you know what my boundaries are ahead of time, or you know what my limits are ahead of time. And we agree, you know, that we're not going to cross these. And if we do, this is the response that's gonna happen.
2: Correct. We Correct. Ahead of
0: time.
2: <laughs> well, here's here's the important thing, because we're am and I'm gonna see what I mean? It's already fifty five yeah. minutes in. They go a long time because, you know, we get into it. We get into it. I know it's there's, fun to talk about. It is. There's so many different facets. Here's the here's the big takeaway. It's an ongoing process. This is something that it, it's not perfect. It's constant work in progress. And what the, the, the big takeaway is how much growth and learning that each of you guys have, ladies, have implemented in, you, in your lives. So is was the idea of, how do I come from a place of strength? Well, I am going to have to do a deep dive into me. I am going to have to do my own recovery. I am going to have to create my own foundation. I am going to have to create my own rituals and routines and connect spiritually on a higher level so that I can come from a place of strength and not only handle things with my own family, but also start you know, becoming a community leader. So with that being said, I kind of want to segue into what it is that you ladies do today. As a team coming to me and saying, hey, oh, you know, I'd love to talk about what we do. Tell me a little bit about what you guys have put together and how you're helping the recovery community um, and other other parents and people and interventions. You know, tell us a little bit about how you guys, what, what you guys are doing, what you ladies are doing.
0: Well, one of the things that I found when my son was in treatment was that I recognized that addiction flourished in our home and that I had no idea what recovery meant. And so I wanted recovery to flourish Mm -hmm. in our home. So I grew up in an environment that supported addiction. So I wanted to know how you changed that. So I made it a mission to learn how to create an environment that supported recovery. And while doing that, I, I, Connected with a lot of people in um, re- in recovery, community leaders. That was sweet. <laughs> um.
2: <laughs> that was my wife. She just got home.
0: <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. Um, so i i I wanted to know. So I and I, I wanted the vision, like, what is recovery? And I went to a big event where there were thousands of people in the mall in DC, and Steven Tyler played and all that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this, like, okay, I have a vision now of what recovery can be. And um, so I got connected with people in recovery and I got connected with people in, in my community and um, I created a group for families that was an education type gathering. So I had experts and um community members come and speak and, and educate families on addiction and recovery so that it wasn't just a place of expression um, where we were just kind of admiring the problem and passing it around in the circle. But instead we were learning actionable solutions and um, recovery practices. Right. And then I was on the production team for the collegiate recovery conference. And Mm. I heard like, phenomenal speakers and i thought i am so lucky that i get to meet these people and i get to know and i was trained in a family system intervention protocol by dr judith landau who has one of the who's like phenomenal um, teachings on how the family system needs healing not just the individual and that this is a not a that if we treat the whole family, then we have better outcomes. And if we are invitational in how we, we um, come together, then we have better outcomes. So I had all these people that I met, and they had these phenomenal ways of being. And I knew that it was really hard for families to travel to a conference, much less leave their house for a meeting, because who knows what will happen if they leave. They're scared. So how could we take all this great stuff, and bring it right into the living rooms of all the family members. And I had seen Pam on social media and I knew that her messaging was aligned with mine and um, her ideology was aligned with mine. So I said, I have an idea to do an online family recovery conference. Do you wanna do that with me? And so we sought out, we just asked people we knew if they would do talks and um, they said yes. And so we popped up the first ever online family recovery conference for families about families with all the different, you know, nuances, but um, fam- Pam brought to it just a huge layer of support because I'll let her tell what she does for families. But I work with families one-on-one. Um, I used to work with a whole family system, not just an individual or not just a parent, um, but usually we all work together. And, uh, and then I am the founder of the Family Recovery Conference, and then I work on the production team for the Collegiate Recovery Conference.
2: Wow. Wow. Incredible. All right. Yes. Yes. All right. Pam?
1: Yeah. So um, back uh, several years ago, um, I, you know, I, in my spirit, I knew that um, I understood that my recovery was not typical. And at the same time, because I didn't go into an Al-Anon group or I tried, it wasn't a good fit for me for whatever reason. um, You know, I, I was like, I felt really isolated and really alone. And then the other thing that happened was, is that during that time, Um, we were, you know, we were looking for treatment centers and trying to figure out and navigate insurance and, you know, we Google something and we get, uh, an 800 number that was owned by a, a treatment center. And so there were all these like really horrible predatory practices and families just didn't know where to go, where to turn. And I envisioned an organization that would support families from a full service perspective. So, um, then I went through the, the, um, uh, peer recovery coaching academy. And I was like, like this is multiple pathways. Like families need to feel supported regardless of which way they find their recovery. You know, that kind of typically when you look in these private Facebook groups, that answer is always like, just go to an Al-Anon meeting, just go to an Al-Anon meeting. And there's this whole segment of population that try it it's not for them and they have no support, right? None. And so, um, and I learned a lot of my recovery practices that I work with families on through therapeutic interventions, motivational interviewing, CBT, DBT. Like I, uh, you know, all the spiritual practices in the world did not give me the skills and languaging that the four components of DBT did. And that changed our family. Our whole family had to take DBT because our kids were taking it and we had to take it together. And so I'm like, what if we had this kind of support group model that was had a spiritual component, but also this sort of evidence-based topical component? And I put those together and I created a support group model, which we now have six of them that meet in Minnesota. We have some online groups. But we also have a, a helpline, a warm line that people can call that's safe. We, we don't, we're not, we don't ever take a dime from treatment centers. You know, we're not, um, we we're paid by donations only. Um, and so families can call and a lot of treatment providers give out our phone number at Thrive because they know it's safe. And so we'll, you know, we'll deal with these kind of crisis calls that aren't really crisis. Cause you call the police or you call crisis and you don't really get help. And I was like, well, I'm a, family member who's been through this, I can help support these people. And so we have about 25 trained volunteers now um, that help answer that line, that lead our groups. Um, we do coaching and then also I do private coaching uh, myself. So, you know, I have some private clients that I work with and then I'm going to be going through Judas interventionist training more to just learn family systems and understand that a little bit better. I um, mean, like Shelley said, we We came together and, and, you know, it was just we were so aligned with our views and um, everything that we're putting out for messaging. And it's really, it's this, like, we don't use typical words that you might hear in um, family recovery circles. So we don't talk about enabling. um, We don't talk about codependency. Now, we, we can talk about how sometimes helping can help the addiction flourish or we can talk about how we can help provide an environment that supports recovery. But, you know, we try to work with families, you know, parents, natural instinct, a mother's natural instinct is to want to save their child. So how can we take that natural bond between a family member and their kid, a mom and their child and work Within that bond, instead of saying, Well, you have to detach, you're toxic, you're the enemy, you're causing the problems, how can we take that relationship and go, you know, if we if we treat the whole family, if we help them learn how to be their loved ones best chance at recovery, you know, all of a sudden one toxic or one healthy plant in a toxic pond as shelly would say can change the whole family can change the whole ecosystem right and so how can that how can we start working to to change the dynamic of the family so instead of working against one another we can help one another become healthy and and it always starts with us right it always starts with the one and well, we
0: we, yeah. we want to look at families so When we were going through this in our family and people were telling me to disconnect, just detach, kick him out, use tough love, wait for him to get to rock bottom. Wait, wait, wait. I was like, I'm never going to do any of that. Like I'm never going to kick him out. I'm never going to use tough love, but I am a mother. And my natural mother instinct is to protect my young, to put my life before his and to protect the rest of my family. I'm strong. I have perseverance. I love love. You know, like, use my strengths. I mean, we are incredibly resilient. Use these strengths and tell me another way to do it because I'm not going to do it that way, right? So what Pam and I are trying to, to help families understand is they have these strengths that they can use in their favor instead of going against their natural ways of being, right?
2: Correct. And so what's interesting Is well. I'm curious uh, as far as what, I guess, what obstacles or more challenges, what challenges you face because, in some aspects, the family is not is not as willing to look at themselves. It's more like them
0: where they are. Okay, you you where they are, and then you you lay the breadcrumb trail for them, right? you start with, okay, this is what's going on. And we both do it. We listen, 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 listen until we can pinpoint pinpoint like, okay, can we reframe that? Can you almost like yoga? Can you do this pose instead? Can you take five breaths? How are you? And then we ask questions like, okay, you know, what is it about that thing? Or we just, we just really dig in and then they'll start to come down and we're able to to look at it as a bigger picture. Judith teaches us to do a genogram. I do that with my, a lot of my, all my families um, to look at where there are health issues, substance use issues, trauma, grief, losses, um, mental health issues, and you draw it all out and color code it. You can tell what's happening with a family when you do that? And and there is a a way that it will all converge into one or two people and then it starts to heal. They become the family healers. So if you can orient the family to, you know, this is like some of the things I'm ways I'm responding might be contributing to this. And some of the ways they're acting might be contributing to the way I'm acting And we're interdependent and that's natural and attachments are, are actually fundamental. You know, if we can reorient the families to different ways of being or orient them to different ways of being, but re or orient them to the, what's happening and show them that there are ways and wise, it really helps.
1: Well, and Shelly brought up a really good point, and we both do this a lot, and that's looking at patterns. One of the things that we have the power to do is to say, like, we've been there and we understand. I didn't want to admit that perhaps the way I was interacting with my son could have contributed You know, and even when you look at the Al-Anon three Cs, I didn't cause it, I can't cure it, I can't control it. But the fourth C is, but you can contribute to it. And so even in that, uh, I think almost any family member, when they come to us for help or they're they're in a group, right? We're in private Facebook groups and they're in a group and they're saying, I'm done, I need help. Almost every parent or family member will say, I need help. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know what to do. And so we can say, okay, you know, first and foremost, let's just breathe. Let's take a step back and let's look at a specific situation and what the pattern might be in that situation that might be creating that chaos or creating the environment that might be, you know, devaluing or dehumanizing our loved one that might be contributing in some way that might be interacting with them in a way that helps them with their addiction pathology, right? So we know that in addiction, there's a pathological, you know, reward and response system. And so if we're going to, you know, help with the addiction, the first thing we can do is help break the pathology or that at least the the part that we have where we're contributing
2: to it correct correct because what i find in many cases especially when i'm coaching is that there is some underlying trauma there is childhood trauma and what the alcohol and the drugs do is soothe that trauma Mm -hmm. so you know the if I if I stop using drugs and alcohol because this program taught me how to not use drugs and alcohol, what does how does that help me with the underlying issue?
1: Right.
2: And in some cases, the step work, uh, depending on how involved you get into it, will address some of it. Uh, but in many cases, there is an underlying issue that still stays unresolved. And unless that gets rolled, you've always got this chance of a relapse based on being triggered. So,
1: well, going back to that, you know, like I, as a parent, had trauma that created certain behavior patterns in my life. Correct. That were also contributing to the environment where the addiction could flourish. And so that's where we talk about don't ask them to do anything. We're not willing to do. And if we can recognize that all of us probably have some underlying stuff that needs to get peeled away. And as we start to address that, we change our behavior patterns. And then when we start changing the way we interact with other people, they change their response and it just ripples. And eventually, we've got an environment where recovery flourishes.
2: Well, there's no question about it because you've changed. The, the, the most important thing you changed was your language. So how you discuss recovery, how you discuss uh, alcohol, uh, substance abuse disorder versus addiction. So there is a, there is this constant change in language that takes a lot of the... Um, shame. The shame. Stigma. Yeah. The shame and the stigma out of, out of the conversation. So now it moves more into what is, and then looking and addressing how it affects not only them, but how it affects you, how it has affected you, and specific instances where you guys can kind of try and identify a pattern or some some other underlying issue that's coming from the parent. So it could be the way that they're trying to communicate with their child is ineffective. Mm-hmm. Um and you guys, you two ladies are able to bridge that gap, correct?
1: Yeah. Or yeah. spouses, I you know, we've got a lot of um spouses that come into our groups, and you know, people are telling them, Well, just get divorced, right? Like you don't right. have to live that way. And they're like, if they wanted to get a divorce, they wouldn't be in the support group in the first place. Right? They don't want to leave, they want to try to figure out if they can change the way that their family dynamic is playing out and that they might be able to create an environment that supports recovery. And so, you know, I worked with quite a few people that have their whole dynamic and their relationship with their partner or spouse is completely different now because like Gabor Matei says, if you're going to love an addict or alcoholic, just love them. Don't try to change them. hmm
2: Mm-hmm. Right. mm-hmm. I think so, that, yeah. I think the
0: work that we do, that like the most impactful or most juicy work that we do, is that we help people talk to each other.
2: Mm, yeah, right. I love it
0: because the the biggest issue is people aren't either are not talking about it and just kind of isolating in silence about it, or they're um, coming at it from a, you know, violent way. So we're teaching like nonviolent communication. We're teaching people to open up with questions. We're, we're asking family members, you know, how do you want to feel, right? How do you want to feel in this relationship? And what's, what's, causing you not to feel that or how do you both want to be in this relationship or how do we want the family to be you're like what do you want to what what how do we want our family to be let's collaborate on this and and we're trying to bring people that are like here back and here before they decide to go here right
2: i love it i love it okay so so listen Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm on, no, go ahead. We, 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 talk all day. We, we could talk all day. So here's what I want to do. So, Thrive. Okay. So Thrive is the name of your company. Is that the name of the support group? It's um, a
1: nonprofit that has that encompasses all of those things. Okay. So it's called Thrive Family Support, and we have a helpline. We, um, you know, connect people to resources. Uh, safely <laughs> this
2: is the this is this is the project this is both you and Shelly
1: and then Shelly and I start, so that's my organization that Drive I started okay yeah and then Shelly and I have the family recovery conference together okay and that's that's what we're doing together
2: that's online
1: online yep and it's
0: iterating into a bigger things yeah. But that's that hasn't that's in the creation stage right now.
2: Okay, so before we go any further, if my listeners want to get in touch with you, ladies, want to know more about what you offer, okay, Pam, tell me what you offer, and then Shelly, tell me what you what you have, and how and how they can get a hold of you. Right.
1: So, um, so I. Oh, okay. I can talk. We have an online um, Facebook group called Thrive Family Addiction Support. Okay. I offer private coaching, which is under my name, okay. Um, And then we have the nonprofit umbrella organization, Thrive Family Support, which is just ThriveFamilySupport.org.
2: Okay. And so if they want to reach out okay. to you, best way is through your website? Yep. Okay. Which would be... What's your website again?
1: Well, uh, ThriveFamilySupport.org would be our nonprofit website. And then if they're interested in like coaching or Mm -hmm. anything like that, it's just PamLanhart.com.
2: Got it. Okay. And I will list that on the show notes, folks. Okay. Okay, Shelly?
0: You can access the Family Recovery Conference just like it sounds the Family or FamilyRecoveryConference.com. And that's where we have. 40 some talks from individual peers, professionals and innovative thought leaders in the realm of family recovery. And you can email me through that, or you can email me for personal guidance or coaching. Just email Shelly at ShellyLYoung.com.
2: Okay. All right. Shelly, you don't have your own website yet?
0: She does. Things are in creation.
2: All right. I
0: don't have a separate website right now. I took, I'm recreating all of it. All right.
2: Coming soon. Family
0: recovery conference became such a big part of what we do.
2: Okay. Wonderful. Okay, great. All right. So folks, if you want to get in touch with Pam or with Shelly, I'll have all their information on the show notes. So just go to the show notes um, and you'll be able to access that quickly. Um, and then let's let's ask some let's answer some closing questions. Are you ladies ready? Mm-hmm. okay, wonderful. okay, so one at a time um, there are as, as especially as far as you know what what I'm thinking about, especially when I'm going into this like before I started my process of recovery, when I'm first faced with the challenge. Um, of my my child is suffering right now with substance abuse issues, right? So at some point, as myself as a coach, right, um, I hear people all the time, I can't do this because... Or once I achieve this, I'll be happy. So it's a set of limiting beliefs or stories that they tell themselves. So I'm curious as to what the limiting beliefs that you had or the stories that you used to tell yourselves, um, and what, is, what are the new stories that you believe now?
1: I'll start, and then, Shelley, you can wrap up. Um, my story was that I would be okay if my kids turned out Okay my identity was completely intertwined with my children's success or failure. So the story was, if my children failed, I fail.
2: And what is the story now?
1: And the story now is I'm okay. Like my identity is not whether or not my kids succeed or fail. And my children's identity is not whether or not they follow the path of success that society lays out. That it's far more important for them to be happy, healthy, and spiritually whole than it is for them to be a success in the world's eyes. Um, And so, you know, again, it's, it's relationship and love is more important than being right. And so the story in my head now is is, um, you know, like I'm strong, I am, I'm okay. I'm okay.
2: And a lot of things, a lot of times, well, I'll end up with at some point is having that, that question that I want my clients to answer, which would be, what does success mean to me? What is my vision of success? Because in many cases, that tells us a lot about, you know, where they're at and how long they've been there.
1: So for me, the answer to that is that my peace and my joy is not dependent on external circumstances. Mm.
2: Beautiful, beautiful. Love it. Shelly?
0: So I guess if I drill it down to a substance use or addiction-related limiting belief. I used to believe that there was nothing I could do and that made me feel very powerless. Mm. And I don't believe that now at all. I believe in, I, I wouldn't even utter the words Cross that out in the name of Jesus. I'm not powerless, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, we are powerful we are powerful and our thoughts create our reality and our beliefs create our reality and um our love is a force it's a force and we can use it we can use it for good and so there there are things you can do there are lots of things you can do and um you are. you are, and together we're even more powerful right together we're even more powerful so uh, I don't believe in powerlessness, and I don't believe in labels, and um, I don't believe there's nothing you can do. I believe there's lots you can do.
2: Beautiful. I love it. I love it. Um, so one of the things that I, one one of my favorite um, examples from Tony Robbins, one of the stories that he tells, is he talks about burning the boats. And I love I, I love hearing about people's burning boat moments. So if you want to take the island, you have to burn the boats. So you draw this line in the sand where you say, I'm not one more day, not one more hour, not one more minute. I'm not going to tolerate this in my life anymore. Um, what was that moment for each of you? Shelley? you start us off. Uh,
0: it was a moment that was after my son was in treatment and I Somebody reached out to me and and I'd received a gift in the mail of like the wine club of the month. And I was like, this has done nothing for my family good ever. And I put all the wine bottles in a container in my backyard and I smashed, I wrote on them. I wrote like, you will never, I will never be powerless. You will never take my joy like all these things and i smashed them with the hammer and i was like done like i will never allow a substance to rule my life ever again
2: wow That's- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I> love that love <laughs> i could actually see you i burned the boat. i burned it. i
0: smashed it i was serious i was like not having it, and then I bought myself a ring. I have this little ring, and it has three little things on it to remind myself that I would never, like, put my kids in that situation ever again.
2: Oh man, that is absolutely powerful. I love it, Pam.
1: Yeah, mine was the summer of brokenness, and I'm sitting on my quiet time chair, and I had probably had a, more than a few days where I couldn't get off the chair, and I just thought to myself. I am not living. I am dying with my child. Wow. I am not gonna die with him. And it it was a, a spiritual death. It was a death of, you know, desperation. And um, I I just I'm like, you know, I believe there's a verse in the Bible, John 10 10, it says that he came to give us abundant life. And I was like, this is not abundant life. Like I am not living in abundance. And that is not the promise. And so I'm going to figure out today how to live that promise. And I knew intrinsically that if I changed the way I lived, that people around me would change as well. And I was like, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to let this disease kill me and kill my family and kill my son.
2: Man, you guys had two powerful burning boat moments. (laughs)
0: Right. Very powerful. But I did have a moment in my therapist's office to piggyback on what um, Pam said about changing for her family, where my therapist said, um, if you want to break this Cycle in your family, it's going to have to start with your kids. And I said, I, you know what? I don't think so. I think it has to start with me. Mm. It has to start with me so that it will break for my children. Yeah. And so that was another layer of why um, I thought, you know what? The rest of the generations, if I like, if I have to stop drinking or whatever I have to do to make it so they don't suffer this or. My daughters don't have kids that have substance use issues or my son. I I, I would do anything for them not to have that.
2: I have to be the change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Simple. Interesting how the therapist would say that.
0: Huh. Huh.
2: Very interesting. Okay. So tell us about an aha moment in your life when you realized you were now moving in the right direction. Go ahead, Pam. Um,
1: you know I don't know if I could I don't know if I could really pinpoint a a actual aha moment but the you know the day in Sedona that I mentioned earlier where I didn't confront Jake it wasn't icky it was a very good day and then the next day he called and said I need Mm -hmm. detox um like I knew that that was exactly what it was all about like that 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 our family was a safe place that my relationship with my son had become such a safe place that he could reach out to me anytime and say, I need help. Right? Like that to me is the epitome of what we're trying to accomplish in our families. Like Shelly said, where, you know, you're holding that container and you carry your kids' hearts or your, you know, important people's hearts in your hands. And, and it's like having an egg in their hand and, and you're not squashing the egg, right? Like you're, you're holding that and it's precious and it's beautiful and it's all in one piece.
2: Absolutely. That, that is a spectacular aha moment, a spiritual awakening. That That's a huge, it's a beautiful moment where you recognize that something dramatically different is happening and it's all good. Yeah. That's an aha moment. I love it. All right, Shelly. Uh,
0: well, I wrote in my journal sometime during that year, like, how will I know that this is happening? You know, how will I know? And I put some conditions down or some mm, markers, I guess I like would that. be the word. that that, so I would recognize it and remember like this is happening. So one of them was when my son started saying things like about his sobriety, you know, and, and me hearing him say it. So I was like, this is really happening. Like he's choosing this. This isn't before us. This isn't about us. This is, he's choosing this and him saying things like, you know, I know all the good things that are coming to me are because I'm sober, you know, and he's got some really good things coming down the pike. And um, so that's one of them. And then just the way I feel in my, in my everywhere, you know, like I feel different. So that moment when you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not on high alert anymore. Like my neck doesn't hurt from hovering above the pillow, ready to jump, mm. you know, into action, And, um, and I think the most, and this might not sound very humble, but the most, um, affirming moment is when Google asked me to help them help. Like Google asked me what, how do we help families better? And I was like, that's like the thing Google's supposed to Google. (laughs) So when Google asks you, what can we do? Then I was like that I'm doing the right things now, if that's what's happening.
2: Google reached out to you.
0: I met some people at Google and they said, can you help us with you know, wow. help better? I just thought that was funny. You know, like Google, Google asked me, what do you, <laughs> what do we do? And when I, and I said to them, like you were my first responder.
2: Like, yeah, absolutely. I, with, you
0: know, I went to you like every bit of the way you were my first responder. So, um,
2: That's a pretty big, that's a pretty big aha moment.
0: Yeah. That's a pretty big aha. (laughs) This is all happening. Yeah. Yeah. I found my purpose. Yeah.
2: All right. So for family members that are listening, um, what are the resources that you would recommend to them book wise or any other resources?
0: Besides Thrive Family Support and Mm -hmm. the Family Recovery Conference,
2: there we go. Besides
0: those two things, which um, you know they're they're innovative in the way that we we uh, speak and respond and everything, Um, I would say the Partnership for Drug Free Kids because they have some free resources that are that are really uh, based in kindness and science evidence-based practices. So that would be one. If I was to recommend a book, um, I would recommend the book that Pam recommended to me, which is the anatomy of peace and um, the four agreements. Those two books I think uh, are very powerful um, in, in, in understanding where somebody, you know, how to, how to relate So the four agreements is great on how to, how to relate with people overall. And the anatomy of peace is a really, um, eye opening, heart opening way of responding to a loved one with substance
2: use disorder. Beautiful. Beautiful. Pam, anything to add to that?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I would agree partnership for drug free kids is really a good, it's a really good website. And you know, if, uh, If you're a person of faith, there's a couple books I love, 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 and one is called Keep Your Love On, and it's written by Danny Silk, and the other one is called Everybody Always, and it's by Bob Goff. He's a really popular author now, and, you know, he just, it's like, love everybody always, right? I just love, and I love anything by Brene Brown. So, you know, her stuff on boundaries, her stuff on um, vulnerable, shame. Some of those, actually, some of those philosophies of hers and how she communicates them really has shaped the way I work with clients more than anything, you know, and just her her, uh, belief on intrinsic value, her last book. Um, was so, so, so good. She talks about how we file people into categories, right? And we put a label on that person. And so then we create that story in our head about who that person is and we validate that story. And so I think at any time we can kind of move away or recognize, right, that we have created this story and that our behaviors are validating it, you know, in a, and especially in a negative way. And we can stop and say, you know, wait a minute, like, I need to change that story. I think that's really what happens in the cycle of chaos and addiction is that we create this story, right, of what we think about a person who has addiction or about what the disease looks like. I mean, there's so many more people that live in the disease of addiction that never steal, hardly ever, you know, never lie. Like, give the shirt off their back to, to another person, you know, function at work on a daily basis. I mean, there's a lot of people that have substance use disorder that really don't come close to fitting into the stereotypical stories that we tell about people with addiction. And so, you know, I just, I love her writings because I think it's helps us step out of the, the story that we're creating and, and then we have the power to create a new story.
2: Yeah. I, and Tim
0: an author too. So let's not forget if we're gonna suggest books, especially faith-based books, praying our loved ones home, praying your loved one home.
1: Praying one home. And you know, I write a lot. And so if you follow me on Facebook, you are gonna get like a good dose all the time of you know stuff, like really, I think pretty powerful um, thought. Yeah. Beautiful. And
0: our our, recover, our, our conference Facebook page is Foundations for Family Recovery. Yeah.
2: Okay. Wonderful. All right. Um, so, um, God, I was about to say something. Oh, no. Whenever I recommend or whenever Brene Brown, Brene Brown comes up, it's always like all things Brene Brown. Like you really wow. cannot go wrong. Just Google her. And she just did. Did you watch the Netflix special? Yes, yeah, it's so good. Yeah. yeah, she's just phenomenal. My first introduction to her was the the power of vulnerability, the TEDx talk that she did. I yeah. really
1: want to meet her someday.
2: She's my girl crush. She's 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 my girl crush. I want to meet her too. She's incredible. I, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, God, we we gotta cut this short. Okay, mm-hmm. so what? I hate to do this though. Um, give me your most powerful I am statements Shelly what are your three most powerful I am statements
0: I am well I am peaceful I am powerful
2: love it Pam
1: yeah I am powerful I am loving and I am kind
2: Mm, love it see yeah I hate going over that one
1: switch that one too. Actually, Shelly and I we have four cuz we're both the same. This is the same. I am a warrior. Yes. Yeah. have that on our my tattoo.
2: Oh, you guys have matching I am warrior tattoos? Well,
1: no. I, mine doesn't say that, but I'm going to get. That's going to be. My- <laughs> mine says hope. So,
2: well, yeah. the, I love it. I love it. Okay, so um, what is one parting piece of wisdom that you would like to share with our listeners? Okay, Pam, you go first. No, yeah. Shelly was about um, to speak. Go. No, go no.
1: Ahead, no, go first. Um, you know, I I would just say you you do have power, you have the power to change lives, and um and you can walk in abundance, joy, and peace, right? Regardless of your circumstances.
2: Love it. Shelley?
1: I'd say
0: number one, reach out for help from somebody who's been there and is, you know, in recovery or has a recovery mindset. But the, the most important pieces of all of this is communication and connection and emotional regulation and, and those are the foundations so um you know get connected communicate get yourself into a place of calm and and ask for help like ask for help
1: I okay it. i have to put you back on this one last thing 23 million people in the united states are in long-term recovery why not your son why not your daughter why not you your husband why not you why not your family right so why not
2: why not why not it makes it's going to change your life it's going Mm -hmm. to change your life oh
0: my gosh it's the best thing that ever happened because at the beginning of this you said what did it cost you and I could I didn't even go there I was like and then this happened (laughs) right (laughs) right I forgot to even say like the what it costs because because it gave it like recovery gave us so much like that's over.
2: It's true. You know? it, it's true. Um, we could go into all kinds of and all kinds of tangents of what it costs. it costs us? It costs us so much. But it, at the flip side, the the price we paid for admission is is worth it because without suffering there is no story without struggle there is no story without everything that we've endured we cannot give on such a high level we had to endure the suffering that we that the path that we that we had um forced us to recover to change to learn to grow and then through that we're now able to give back and contribute on a much higher level so it needed to happen yeah. I'm grateful for all I, of it.
1: I, I looked at my son the other day and I said, the greatest gift that we've ever received is the gift of your addiction. Incredible. like, really? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, there's no doubt in my mind that I am right where I'm supposed to be for such a time as this because of the experiences that we've had for
2: our family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the way that's the, that is the way of of looking at it because you know, without it, without it, we cannot help others. Right. We had to learn to help ourselves first. And then now we are recovery warriors. (laughs) Agents of change. All right, Pam, Shelly, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having us we yeah. could talk for like two
2: more years. I think this was yeah. so fun. Thank you. We, yeah, yeah. we could literally like I was watching the clock going, man, we there, we there's, I'm going to have to, I got to stop this, this, this con where episode? we're at. Cause we're, you know, no, we got to stop here. Cause I got other questions <laughs> and we could go on for days on this one. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much Omar for having us. You're doing great yeah. work. We appreciate you.
2: Well, you ladies are doing incredible work, and not for nothing. But this is one of those episodes I get asked about. It's the family member one. Like, what, mm-hmm. where, what, what resources are out there for family members, right? And so, mm-hmm. I I need this as, as you know as much as my community does, right? Because yeah. they need they need access to to family wellness. Yeah. yeah. So here it is. We here agree. it is. We agree. All right. Thank you. Here it is. Here it is. All right, ladies, we've now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Thank you for joining us today on the Recovery Revolution podcast. For more information about the podcast, to access the show notes, join us in the Recovery Revolution, or to learn about one-on-one coaching with me, Then go to www.omarpinto.com. Make sure to check out the website or schedule a free consultation with me today. It's time to join the recovery revolution.